Welcome to the Sideline Podcast. Today is Monday, October 19th, and it was another busy sports week. My name is Justin Berger, and I'm joined by Doug Watley and Alec Kieser. Obviously, we'll be starting in Arlington after last night's Game 7 of the National League Championship Series. Keys, let's start with you. Give me your thoughts on, I guess it's we, we haven't talked about the entire series, so give me your thoughts on the series between the Dodgers and the Braves. Hell of a series, first of all. I mean, hats off to both teams. Um, anytime you go to a Game 7, obviously, you know, that means the two teams are pretty evenly matched. Um, tough, I mean, tough loss for the Braves, obviously, but... I mean, what like what are you supposed to say? They just they ran into the probably the best, if not the second best team in baseball, and so um, yeah, it was an incredibly entertaining series. I, like, like I said before uh, last week on the podcast, I was going with my heart. I wanted the Braves to win. Um, I'm sure, obviously, everybody knows you wanted the Braves to win as well. But yeah, um, tough series, but incredibly, incredibly entertaining. Yeah, incredible by Justin to not let his emotions spill over before giving it to us because that's very nice. Well, I'm a podcast <laughs> host first and a sports fan second. Right. Uh, I I like your team a lot, Justin. I, I thought they played very, very well the first couple of games. They were playing against a good pitching staff in the Dodgers. Not really great, but some great hitters on that lineup. So for their pitchers to come out early in the series and, and produce that 3-1 to lead was very impressive and something to look forward to in the future. But overall, I just think it's the Dodgers' time right now. The Braves still have some growing to do. The Dodgers have been growing for the past four or five years now, and they needed a breakthrough, and they finally got one. Yeah, and uh, Justin and I talked about this in the walkover, and I said, like, it, nobody ever wants to play the hindsight game, but if you look at the series, like, Atlanta's starting pitching staff was decimated. Um, you know, and you get good a good performance out of Ian Anderson in game two, which kind of saved the bullpen a little bit. But um, the Dodgers were able to see a lot of that Atlanta bullpen, and it ended up paying dividends. Um, but if you just want to, like, look ahead, like next year, um, and like, it's been a day, so you don't really want to do that yet. But um, you have Soroka coming back from injury. You have Max Freed. You have another year of Ian Anderson. You have another year of Bryce Wilson. You have another year of Kyle Wright. And there are your five starters right there. Your bullpen's still amazing. That lineup's only going to get better. You need to add a veteran and probably re-sign Ozuna. But... Um, as a Braves fan, I know like, it, like losing in Game Seven, there's no you can't put that into words. But like when when you have the ability to to move past it and look forward, you're going to be very excited. So let's start with the positives. Uh, this team is incredibly young. They will go. At my window. I was talking to my dad last night. My window is this team can go as long as Freddie Freeman plays at an elite level, which is probably going to be another five or six years. And even after that, they'll probably still be fine. So the window is big. Obviously, after losing Mike Soroka in his third start, we didn't expect anything from this Braves team this year. So to go to the NLCS and take it to seven games against either the best or the second best team this season is an incredible feat. To do it after losing Soroka and losing Felix Hernandez and Cole Hamels, who gave us a combined three innings of pitching this year. That was impressive. To do it with Marquecas taking an obvious step back this year, that's something to look up on. Dansby had a breakout year, in my opinion. Obviously, Marcelo Zuna, I hope it's with the Braves, is going to get a blank check, especially if the DH stays in the NL, which all signs are pointing to it being so. And a positive for me, just in the NLCS in the last seven days, 
Christian Pache is legit, and the spotlight didn't get to him. So I was excited about that. He plays an unbelievable center field, and even maybe more importantly, it allows Ronald to play right field, which is his natural position. So those are the positives. Um, But hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. My thing, and I thought about this a lot, and what I keep going back to is forget about how talented this team was or how how many uh, players they were missing. You had a 3-1 lead in a series, and you couldn't close the door. And I don't know who to blame for that. Maybe the Dodgers waking up, uh, because we did see that to a varying degrees in games five through seven. Their bats certainly turned up after game three. But I, I just don't know who to blame, because A.J. Minter gave you the performance of his lifetime in game five. And Bryce, or was that? Yeah, and Bryce Wilson gave you the performance of his lifetime in game four. I, that, I haven't seen that Bryce Wilson since I was watching his draft footage uh, when the Braves drafted him a couple years ago. So that was ec- uh, I was ecstatic about that. Freed was very, very good in game six. Obviously, you'd like to get through that first thing without giving up three runs, but to have him stay in that entire game and not uh, have to blow your bullpen in game six, I, I guess that's a positive. It's just, it's really hard. I, I wrote out this tweet last night. I didn't end up sending it because I think a lot of Atlanta is going through the same thing. But you look at what the city sports-wise has gone through in the last decade, and that's just professionally. You pile on the UGA fans. At Georgia Tech has stunk for 10 years. But if you add yourself in, George, in, in the UGA fan, that fandom is hurting and has been hurting and this disappointment, I said it uh, a couple of days ago when we got a three to one lead. It, it felt inevitable that something that something would happen. Uh, it's hard to take a lot of positives out of this series at this point. Yeah, you mentioned Game Five. You weren't just up. I shouldn't say you because you're a fan. But the Braves—that's who we're talking about. The Braves were up two to zero early in that Game Five too. So not only were they up in the series 3-1, to but they were up 2-0 in the first two innings. And then the sixth inning comes, Will Smith versus Will Smith. That's where the series, for me, really drifted away for the Braves. Yes. Obviously, they were still up 3-1. They had a chance to come back this game. And then, of course, Game 6 and Game 7, too. But you just felt the energy shift from the Braves to the Dodgers. And Realistically, in my opinion at least, the Braves didn't lose energy necessarily. They were energetic all the way through Game 7. But you could tell in the Dodgers' faces, they had a major shift and they really came prepared Game 6, Game 7, after that Will Smith versus Will Smith home run. Yeah, and I think um, as much as we want to talk about the Braves and like you can say that, yeah, they blew a 3-1 lead, but I think this is more so about this Dodgers team. I think they're very 2007 Red Soxy, if that makes sense. Um, the favorite... Um, probably supposed to win, goes down 3-1 in the series and kind of just comes back alive. Um, Doug, I think to your point, like you said, it wasn't like the Braves had a lack of energy or they weren't trying or there wasn't effort. It was just this Dodgers team, Just it was just too much for them to overcome. I, uh, again, I Cody Bellinger hitting the home run was disappointing because I really felt like the Braves have held, held him in check pretty much the entire series. Corey Seager was 
unbelievable. Stud. A, 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 yeah, ridiculous. Their lineup, one through nine, is ridiculous. And, even, and their lineup changes one through nine every game, which is the impressive part. Mookie, again, I felt like the Braves, games one through five, held him in check offensively. Defensively, he was ridiculous. But offensively, he was a pretty much non-factor for the first five games. Uh, Justin Turner wasn't fantastic. Muncie had timely hits. That's really what it was for them. Uh, in the games that they won, besides the blowout, it was timely hitting that they had that, that put them on top. Their pitching staff was phenomenal. We knew that coming in. Uh, I, I wasn't surprised by any of that. They just, I mean, they had guys that seemed to just grow out of the ground that could effortlessly throw at 103 miles an hour, which was surprising. Uh, Urias last night was literally perfect in the innings that he pitched. So hats off to that. Uh, if I can go back to the Braves for a minute, just for half, Freddie Freeman deserves to win the MVP this year and is going to win the MVP, and he certainly played like an MVP in the NLCS. Marcelo Zuno was a spark plug, which is what he's been all season. My problem in this series lies with Ronald Acuna, who did not hit well. He hit 167 for average. Uh, I think he had three hits, and they were all in two games, so... Not what you're looking for out of the future of the franchise, maybe even the present of the franchise. Dansby was average except for game six and seven where he turned it on. Uh, there wasn't a really like you look at a guy, a guy like Seeger. The Braves didn't have a Seeger in this series that was kind of a spark plug, like I said, for them. Well, I mean, yeah, they didn't have a guy who hit 500 and scolded yeah. everything he touched. Uh, that was a, an, a legendary. LCS performance from Corey Seager. The guy, the ball looked like a watermelon for him. Um, yeah, if, I don't want to hop back to the Dodgers. If you want to finish up, no, the that's I, I. And then one more disappointment before we go back to the Dodgers because we do need to talk about them is Will Smith. Will Smith was not the same person he was at the end of the regular season. His problem all season had been giving up the long ball, and that proved to be a problem for him in the postseason. So, and and Tyler Matzik was fantastic, a great story. I'm sure you heard Joe Buck talk about it every time Tyler Matzik <laughs> came in. But I was overall very happy with this bullpen and the starting pitching, obviously, considering it was stitched together. So just a few disappointments, obviously, in spite of the general disappointment, but there were, uh, among everything else, I was pretty pleased with this team, all things considered. Mm-hmm. And I think it just goes to show you kind of the psyche of, of both sports fans. Is, is Last night, I was terrified to text you, and I was actually texting Doug saying that I felt like you were the starting pitcher and I didn't want to disrupt your mojo. Um, but I had no problem texting Brad, and we were going back and forth. And I think the confidence he had in his boys versus the lack of confidence that the Atlanta fans had in their team, um, not that that affected the series, but... I mean, that definitely played a part in it, I think. But, I mean, like you said, they held Bellinger in check until, I think, one at, like it was one at-bat, the one home run. Um, Mookie was absolutely ridiculous defensively. I think he saved two or three runs at least in, in two games. At least, um, yeah. The first catch in game six where he went literally up the 12-foot wall and freaked out after. Um, you showed me a tweet after that. It was like, wow, you thought that Mookie Betts catch was cool, but how about the Red Sox payroll flexibility? <laughs> that one hit me right in the chest. Um, he, yeah, he was an absolute freak in, in right field. He robbed the home run in Game Seven, um, but it was the it was it was really like you said, timely hitting. And then like six or seven to nine in the Dodgers lineup, they they were 
they were always able to flip the lineup. It was one thing that the Braves weren't really able to do is most of their damage came one through five in the lineup. And when Ronald Acuna wasn't getting on base, they were struggling to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Dodgers, they did not have that problem at all. I think they put on runners in 13 consecutive innings or something like that. Um, and eventually, I mean, as much as you pitch with runners on base, it's going to it's gonna get to eventually. Um, and they just gave the Dodgers too many chances. All right. I, uh, I think we can move on to the AL side. Just a quick wrap-up of the Astros-Rays series, which in itself was phenomenal, but none of us are Astros or Rays fans. But, uh, Doug, quickly, thoughts on that series and what the Rays are bringing to the World Series this year? It's crazy that that series was probably the second-best series in the championship series because, I mean, if you think about it, the Astros were down. They were down 3-0. They had nothing going for them. Altuve was making errors. The whole world was laughing at him. But then all of a sudden, Carlos Correa leads this team and the starting pitching and the bullpen, and parts just start falling into place for this Astros team, and they tied up 3-3. And it was a mix of the Astros coming alive and then the Tampa Bay Bats kind of falling asleep for games four through six. But it really came full circle. Game seven, what we've been seeing all postseason so far the rookie from Tampa Bay, Arosa Reina, comes out, hits another home run. I believe it's like a sixth of the postseason. And, you know, the, the Rays take it in game seven. And realistically, from my perspective, like you said, I'm not a fan of either team really. Everyone, everyone hates the Astros. I kind of like them because of that. They battled and they won and they fought back from 3-0. But it's just the two best teams in both leagues coming together for the World Series. Not much I can ask for more. Yeah, I think um, when the season started, everybody expected this Houston team to be good. And all I think the expectation and all of the other things piled on um, contributed to the record. But, yeah, they went down 3-0 in the series. And, and then we're like, oh, wait, we don't want to go home yet and just decided to play baseball. Um, scary team. Frambar uh, Valdez threw an absolute gem in Game 6. The, the Astros' scouting department is unbelievable. They just find these guys similar to the Dodgers. Um, that just they, they can absolutely pitch. They gave the Rays problems, but uh, their the rotation, the bullpen, the timely hitting, a Rosarina, I think six or seven home runs, rookie record in the in the CS or, or through the playoffs. Um, yeah, this this Tampa Bay Rays team is an, is a problem. They have depth. They pitch, timely hitting. Um, it's 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 kind of scary how similar these two teams are. And it's in if you look at. The Dodgers front office, which is ran by Alex Friedman, um, they hired him from the Rays. And so um, we're starting to see this Rays influence all over baseball. Friedman, Bloom, I'm sure other guys that I don't know the names of. But, yeah, um, this Rays team is very, very, very good. So I'm going to ask you guys for some or for an X factor uh, for the World Series and uh, your your pick for the series. I'll go first. I'm, I'm just going to go chalk. I'm going to go Rays in seven. Um, and my X factor, not, not that that pick is chalk, my, my X factor is chalk, is going to be Morton Snell and Glass now. Um, Ray's starting pitching will be the X factor for them winning the series. And I hope for the love of the game that Arozarena plays exactly like he did in the last series because watching him swing that bat was electric. Well, if he's going to hit five or six more home runs in this series, then they got no excuses. They can't, they're, they're just not going to, they can't pitch to him. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. Did you have anything else to add? No, that's a raisin seven starting pitching X factor. I don't know if I'm ready to give a pick on it yet. I'd have to probably talk through it for another couple of seconds. But I think my biggest X factor is going to be Roberts versus Cash. 
Um, I think these two teams, like I said before, insanely talented. They both have depth. They both have a ton of arms out of the pen. They have starting pitching galore. Um, it's going to be interesting. My my biggest critique of Dave Roberts, and I love Dave Roberts because of 2004, um, but my biggest problem with Dave Roberts, the manager, is that I think he has a tendency to overmanage. He does. Um, they have a ton of talent on that team. They have a ton of depth, and I think he goes to it a little too much. Um, but it, wor- it, it seems to work out. Um, and Kevin Cash making the decision to pull Charlie Morton in Game 7 after 66 pitches, after the way he was throwing, um, ended up working out. but Barely. Barely, yeah. Um, and so I think the more these managers can not stay out of the way because you need to make tough decisions, but whoever makes le- less mistakes or I guess makes the better decisions as the manager will put their team in a better position to win, obviously. And so um, I'm going to go I'm gonna go with you, Justin. I'm going to go raise in seven. I just think the rotation, the bullpen are just a little too good. They're not going to be able to put runners on base like they were against Atlanta. Um, and I think that 7-9 in the Dodgers lineup is going to be really important for, for Tampa to not allow the Dodgers to turn the lineup over, and I think they'll be able to handle them. So let me recap. For the NLCS, you guys both chose Braves in seven. I had Braves in six. Braves in six. I went with my heart and not my head. Braves in seven. World Series, you guys are both fading the Dodgers again, both of you. I think I'm going to I'm gonna stay on this Dodgers train. I'm going Dodgers in seven. The hitting advantage do- Dodgers. They're more experienced. They have bigger names. They showed you in the championship series what's their major, their major benefit in this team is their hitting. Starting pitching, I'll give it to the Rays. Relievers, Tampa Bay has the best bullpen in forever. They don't lose games when they're winning in the seventh or later. That's just how their team operates. Defense, pretty even. I would probably give it to the Dodgers just because of Mookie and the plays that he can make. But Dodgers in seven, their hitters break through. X-Factor, I'm going to go with Bellinger. He obviously had a huge home run game seven, struggled in the regular season. But if the Rays do win this series... It's got to be Brandon Lau on this team. Yeah. He was great in the regular season. He's proven himself as a hitter, but batting 115 in the playoffs, not acceptable. Well, I agree with you. And it kind of a, You said wake up. I think Lau, if the Rays are going to win, absolutely has to wake up. But I think if the Dodgers are going to win, Bellinger has to play better as well. Not play better. He has to hit better because defensively, like I said, that that outfield unit for the Dodgers has been nothing short of spectacular. Just needs to be more consistent, I yes. would say, because he's had timely hits, but needs to be more consistent at the plate. All right. Anyone else? Anything on the diamond? How do we feel about the bubble with fans? I, such such a ridiculous. I mean, I will I, I will say this for the MOB, and I think this was a couple of days ago. So now it might be like fifty or fifty one. But they've had, when I saw the the tweet, it was forty seven days um, since their last positive COVID test. I think they have a positive rate of like point oh oh five or something even smaller than that. Um, and so, like we could say what we want about the MLB bubble with fans and, and all of that, but um, no COVID test is. It's a pretty good sign. And, and uh, one more thing. I will say that defensively, I think Kevin Kiermeyer is the best defensive player in the series, but he's not going to be on the field all the time. And yeah. so um, that's also another thing to look at. Overall, my thought is the best two teams in the regular season make it to the World Series. That just makes me happy because there's no way someone can say that this is an asterisk World Series. This is a legit championship. No, no doubt about it. Take it for what it is. You're absolutely right about that. All right, let's move on to Rogers League, the NFL. Uh, we got to start with the winless Giants and winless Falcons getting their first win yesterday. Uh, I guess a bright spot for for Falcons fans. Uh, my thoughts and just quick takeaways because I don't really yeah, this team is not exciting to me right now. But they looked like they played with a different swagger yesterday with Raheem Morris 
as the interim coach. Uh, Julio was healthy. Matt Ryan didn't look a thousand years old. So obviously a a good start. I think the Vikings may legitimately be, besides the Jets, the worst team in football this year. Yep. Kirk Cousins is abysmal and their defense sucks. Uh, so I don't, you know, take that win with a grain of salt. But 40 points is 40 points. And, Doug, what do we not do in the NFL? Don't apologize for wins. No, we don't. For the Vikings, I'll take it from here. For the Vikings, you mentioned it. They stink. They're very, very bad. I'm glad they're bad this year, especially when the Bears are playing the way they are. Um, Kirk Cousins, I mean, the score is 40-23. to That's the final. That doesn't really represent the blowout that this game was. Kirk Cousins was horrible in the first half. Um, I follow the ESPN beat reporter, uh, Courtney Cronin, on Twitter, and she was saying it's almost time to bench him and give someone else a chance on that team. Thankfully, Didn't they just extend him? Yeah, but they, they <laughs> extend him all the time. But they need someone else leading the charge. But thankfully for the Vikings, one positive for them, Justin Jefferson, nine receptions, 166 yards, two tutties. He's a stud. He's a top wide receiver in this class, maybe second. But on the Falcons, I'm pissed. I'm benched Matt Ryan. I didn't, th- <laughs> I didn't think he would have a good game. Um, Julio Jones looked very, very good. You knew he had it. It's, it's just a win that really doesn't really matter all that much, but it's nice to get one under your belt. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who this says more about. Does it say more about the new-look Falcons? Because, I mean, you turned to me yesterday and you're like, I think we could win the next 11 games, and you definitely have the talent to. Or is it just that this Minnesota team is so bad so 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 bad that it doesn't matter who the, who's playing or who, who they're playing. Yeah. Um. The I yeah. The conf- a little bit of a confusing week in the NFL. Um. What wasn't confusing is the really bad Giants finding a, a way to beat the really bad um Washington football team. Um. I, the, the the only I, this makes me happy because there's just one, two or fewer teams with a, with a, a no wins, and that means the Jets can fully send it for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, absolutely. And so. I, I loved the – while we're talking about this game, I loved Riverboat Ron going for the win <laughs> instead of kicking the extra point and going for overtime. I, I loved that. Uh, Courtney Cronin, IU grad. Yeah. Shout out Indiana. Uh, Doug, any final thoughts with those two games? I Like you said, Kyle Allen, by the way, stepped in and played well. He had 280 yards. Yeah. Daniel Jones, he had – what was it, a run, I think it was, by him, where he just broke free as a play action, fooled the whole nation on that play. Um, this game stunk. Both games stunk. <laughs> like, we can talk about it. I don't know why we started with these two. but Well, we got to start with the Falcons when they win because they haven't. And, but keys, the Jets. The Jets. I, Zero points did, against the Finns. Did you tell me you took the over yesterday? I did. I did take that over. I, I, but in my defense, I thought the Dolphins were going to score all 46 of the points. <laughs> So yeah, um, they're they're so bad. They're bad with Darnold. They're even worse with Joe Flacco. Th- this team might not win a game, and honestly, I'm okay with that. Um, I, Trevor like Trevor Lawrence for a, is the probably the best quarterback prospect to to come out probably since Luck. Um, and so yeah, um, I have all eyes on number 16 for for Clemson, and I, I don't know what we do with Darnold. 
But um, I kind of feel bad because I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he actually has the ability to be talented, but this, it just isn't the right situation for him. I got to ask, what are your thoughts on this Adam Gase versus Greg Williams drama going on in New York? It's absolutely ridiculous. I, I saw it yesterday and actually laughed out loud, or maybe this morning. I can't remember when the headline came out. But it, like, they're so dysfunctional. And I don't. Th- like I was telling Justin on the walk over, like I don't think he's going to get fired this week because they're so bad. Like, why Gase? would you? Yeah, why would you fire him? I, I just no one I, would want the job I, right now. Well, to be I just. I just think, you, what's the, what's the goal of this season? Because they're obviously not going to compete, and so uh, the goal, whether and they're not going to come out and say it because you just can't, is is to draft either to get the number one pick and trade it if you believe in Sam Darnold, or it's draft your quarterback of the future at number one. And so, I, what what would be the point of bringing in a new coach? or firing the old coach to try and bring in a new system for half a year, and then you change everything in the offseason. It just doesn't make any sense. And so the, their their priority, as much as it sucks, would should be, and I think is to lose. And so I wouldn't expect a move at all. I agree. When your team is this bad, not your, I'd say your team, but when a team is this bad, the best thing you can do is not win. And it looks like the Jets aren't going to do that at all this year unless some weird thing happens against someone that they play. But I would have loved to see the the Falcons, and if you're a Giants fan, lose those two teams. I, I, I just don't see a point when you start off this cold, what is a couple of morality-boosting games going to do for you? All right, well, I think it's a little different. I, I, the Jets and the Giants, yes, I absolutely agree. When your team's bad and you're not going to make any noise in the playoffs, why win? Obviously, you want to compete, and if the Giants believe in Daniel Jones, it's a different story. But for the Falcons, especially when we have expanded playoffs, you want to, like that team needs to win games. Like Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, like they're not getting any younger. Um, those, those guys don't – like th- that team – needs to play to win if you have Matt Ryan and you, and you have Julio Jones you need to play to win and so I can understand it better from that point but um yeah the I mean the, the main point of all this is the Jets stink they absolutely stink yeah zero points against the Dolphins shout out the Dolphins three and three back-to-back wins against the 49ers and the Jets Tua got some action this team looks like a fun team they're better than the Patriots right now on the record book Listen. He's talked about those expanded playoffs. They got a real chance to make them. Yeah, and and they have a former sideline podcast coach of the year, Brian Flores, at the helm. Um, like you said, Tua got some game time. That was awesome. Yeah, um, I I don't know. Like the Dolphins, just like what do we think of this Dolphins team? Because they just beat San Francisco, who just beat the Rams. And yeah. So I know you can't do football math, but. Um, this Dolphins team's slowly, slowly, slowly emerging as a, a threat. I'll just wait for a couple of years till the Dolphins are actually good and Brian Flores is going to be considered wait. one of the best. If Belichick is gone by then, it's going to be considered one of the best coaches in professional football. And their secondary is absolutely locked down mm-hmm. with, with uh, Xavier How. Xavier Howard and yeah. Byron Jones, I believe. And yeah, I think Howard has, what, four picks in a row? Four straight Dude, games? They're, they're suffocating. They have two of the best corners in the league and Nobody even talks about it. All right, Doug, 5-1, and one, Chicago Bears. The third team we talk about, it's okay. It's, <laughs> it's the theme for this team, realistically, is to not be talked about but continue to get wins, and they got another one Sunday. 23-16 over the Panthers. The Panthers did not look good, but I'll give credit to the Bears on that. Their defense, top three in the league right now, it is suffocating like you just said. They're mean. They are mean. Khalil Mack is finally playing like the 2018 Khalil Mack. Akeem Hicks is back, and now you have the cornerbacks and safeties working together. It's all coming together for this Bears defense. They only let up six points in the first three quarters, let up a little bit in the fourth, but the game was pretty much over by then. This offense, not pretty, but sometimes effective. And Nick Foles, 
Doesn't have the stats to prove it, but they were getting first downs. They weren't really going three and outs, which is impressive. The stats won't show that, but Nick Foles ran a decent offense, and they said after the game, if you if you want some motivation, look at Nick Foles' press conference after this game. He thinks this team's passionate, they can get better, and they're 5-1 and one with a lot of room for improvement. What else can you ask for? Listen, we've been saying this for, I think, two, three weeks now since Nick Foles took over the job. The most frustrating thing about watching Mitch Trubisky was that this defense is good enough to win. Yeah. And so what do you need to do on offense? You need to control the ball. You need to make plays. You need to score enough points. Um, and usually enough with this defense is over 20. And so, um, yeah, we're watching Nick Foles protect the ball, make enough plays. And I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Doug. And I, I, I don't know if you guys know how the way this studio is set up, but Doug and I are in one room and Justin's in another room. And we're calling this the Bears room because Doug and I are all in on the Bears. I think 5-1, and one, while it, some of the wins have been a little close, like – Okay. Some this, of them. This Panthers, this Panthers team, I think, is pretty good. I think the Falcons team is really talented. They beat the Bucks, who just went out and trounced the Packers, who we were talking about last week as one of the best teams in football. And so, yeah, you can see, like, say whatever you want about this Bears team. Their offense isn't explosive enough, whatever. But I mean, there's, I mean, they just keep winning. You should move to Chicago, Keys. I am not going to object to any of the statements you said. The Bears are absolute. They are five and one. You cannot take any of those wins away from them. But when you look at the games that they won, and specifically the Lions and the Falcons games, say what you want about the Falcons game. They, the Falcons blew it. The Bears came back, whatever, whatever. The Lions literally dropped a game-winning touchdown that was wide open. If that happens, the Bears lose that game. That was in the Mitch Trubisky era. Yeah, it was. That was week one, yeah. Both of them were Mitch Trubisky era, I guess. I'm, what I, what my point is that... They they almost gave up the Giants game. Like they could have lost pretty much every game that they won this year. And again, they didn't. That's the point. But what happens when they play a good team this year? Because you could argue maybe maybe the Colts and the Bucks are playoff teams this year because they're expanded, but there's not a like surefire playoff team that they've played this year yet. Well, not yeah, they haven't played a surefire playoff team yet. I think except for the Bucks, and I don't like I don't say whatever you want about the Bucks, but like we just said, they beat the Packers. Yeah. Um, I think I'm not going to sit here and tell you this Bears team is is one of the best in the league and even top five, but I don't think I, I think it we'd be mistaken if we were sitting here saying teams are looking at the Bears on their schedule and, and like saying, oh, that's an easy game, or oh, we want to play the yeah. Bears, or oh, they're a fluke, because nobody wants to get hit by that defense. This will be the next couple weeks, Monday Night Football next week in Los Angeles against the Rams. Uh, that'll be a test. Saints, it, it depends what team shows up, but if Drew Brees plays like he has, uh, that will be a test. And then the Titans game in three weeks will be – uh, a real like uh, I can't think of the the water whatever you you'll, they'll see where they are. It's a t- yeah, it's um, a tough schedule coming up. Bottom yeah. line though for the Bears, then we can move on. They're five and one. They have room for improvement, and they're playing very well right now. They're you talked about the Lions game that was week one. You talked about the Falcons game week three. The past two weeks, Buccaneers, Panthers, two teams that were reeling off wins. The Bears defeated them. All right, Buccaneers, Packers. Blowout city yesterday. I keys again. We talk about our, our magical walk that we took before <laughs> here, but I said it. Uh, the Packers played about seven minutes of really good football, and then Aaron Rodgers threw back to back picks, and one of them was taken for six. It just felt like the Bucks had all the momentum after that, and they really didn't give it up after that. Yeah, and they they, they didn't even run the ball particularly well either. I don't think Ronald Jones had a great game. Um, but, yeah, Brady was making plays left and right. Gronkowski 
<laughs> threw it back to 2018, caught his first touchdown pass in over 600 days. Um, I, I, I don't like. I think the Bucks are good. I, I really do. I think I think they're a good team. Um, they lost to the Bears. Who is? They also lost to the Saints Week One. Yeah, Saints Week One. And so, if you look at their two losses, those are to two good teams that'll probably or should make the playoffs. Um, yeah, I think Brady's got these boys playing well, but they're gonna have to run the ball a little bit better if they want to. Uh, make some serious noise. I don't know why you're saying they didn't run the ball. I think they did do that in a very effective way. They didn't have their second running back in Leonard Fournette, but Ronald Jones, 113 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Mm. That's impressive. And realistically, the game, you probably say that because Tom Brady, he he was effective in what he did. He was two touchdowns and made this offense work, especially to Gronk. But Ronald Jones is secretly becoming the number one favorite without Fournette in. But even if Fournette comes back, Ronald Jones is still the number one guy. Um, You've been saying a lot about the Buccaneers. As a Bears fan, it was great to see this Buccaneers team beat up on the Packers. One, it shows the Buccaneers are not a fake team, so that win is not a fake win. But the Packers have some deficits that they need to work on. Um, Also, shout-out Colin Coward. He said, if anyone sees a weakness in Green Bay, tell me now. I was up when they were up 10-0 in this game. After after that tweet, the Buccaneers went on a 38-0 run. All right. I've got nothing to add to that game. It was was a blowout. I love Bruce Arians, so I'm happy about that. Happy enough. Sunday night football, a real stinker uh, between the Rams and the 49ers. 49ers get it done. Rams looked... I may have already used this word to describe another team, but the Rams just looked lost all night. Uh, couldn't really get the offense going. Jared Goff was not effective. And the 49ers' defense showed up to play, even with all the injuries that they have. Well, I mean, I think Goff missed Cooper Cup wide open a couple times. Cooper um, Cup is also has a, a, a long case of the droppies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, I think the, the best thing about last night is that most of us stayed away and didn't gamble on this game because <laughs> – uh, I, I, I was saying before, like I would have rode the Rams heavy. I thought they were the better team. But San Fran's defense came to play. Jimmy G looked like a totally different quarterback. I mean, last week he looked like a shell of himself. He looked hurt. Didn't like he would he got benched. Like, like we didn't know what to expect. And now this guy comes back and he's like, okay, this is why he's making all this money. Um, yeah, I mean, and most are played half the game last night and was out um, most of the second half. And yeah, there was that's a, that's a, a nice impressive bounce back win for San Francisco and almost makes you think that they probably overlooked Miami a little bit. Realistically, San Francisco, for them, this was a must-win game. If they lost, they would be at the bottom of the NFC West. And not even a year ago, they were playing for the Super Bowl. Um, and obviously the the division has improved a lot, but they needed this win. They got it. I'm glad I didn't watch a snap of this game because it looked bad on paper. It was sure, bad. I'm sure it was bad on TV, and there's a Game 7 in MLB postseason that I was watching. Two other teams moved to uh, not 5-0 and because the Steelers aren't 5-0, and but – Keep stay undefeated uh, in the Steelers and the Titans. We don't need to talk about the Steelers game because they blew out the Browns. Baker and OBJ, I think, were both more hurt than they were letting on, and Baker came out in the fourth quarter or third quarter of that game. So that one was – and it was ugly from, from the beginning. But Big Ben looks good, and that Steelers offense is cooking, and that Steelers defense looks like the 70s team, like that, that – curtain of steel or whatever they used to call it down there um i would put that defense in the bears top two in the league right yeah now. i was gonna say and i mean i think before this week you could say the colts too but they looked awful yeah well joe burrow got it going i guess yeah. uh, no, but the, the titans uh, game yeah. was good no yeah i, I want to talk like titans played houston um and i wanted to kind of talk about there was a play with like three minutes left in the fourth quarter where mike vrabel i think it was second and one he sent 
Um, a 12th defender out onto the field to draw a penalty, acted upset. The, the ball ends up getting advanced. Houston scores. Tennessee gets the ball back with 40 seconds left, goes down, ties the game, gives himself a chance to win. It was not unlike something he did, I think, in 2018. He did the same exact thing against the Jets in a similar scenario, got torched for it, and they got the ball back with enough time to win the game. Um, so Vrabel just showing why he's um, a top-tier coach in this league. But, I mean, what, what more do you want to say about the Titans? Have fun tackling Derrick Henry because he ran for 94 yards and ran away from everybody. Uh, while also running through people. Tannehill is making enough plays. That team has offensive playmakers. The defense, while got lit up by Watson and Houston, um, is still good. They're still mean. They hit. Um, this Titans team's legit. I uh, agree. Vrabel also did the the penalty off against the Patriots in the playoffs last year. That was awesome. Which was awesome. Uh, Texans, uh, one th- you said enough about the page- or the Titans. I keep saying the Patriots. Derek Henry ran for 212 yards. Like, what the hell are you supposed to do against that? What I will say about Romeo Cornell that I did love, he could have kicked the extra point to go up eight. Instead, he decided to go for two to make it a two-possession game with whatever it was, a minute left. I love going for two there to put the game to make it two possessions. Uh, you miss, you still have to get a touchdown and the extra point. And Goskowski, again, missed two field goals yesterday. So another weird thing for the Hall of Famer. But love that coaching decision from Romeo Cornell, even though it didn't uh, work out. NFL overtime still sucks. That's it. Yeah, everyone knows that. It's been pretty much agreed on by NFL people and college football people for a while. It's just unfair to the team that doesn't get the ball first. It's as easy as that. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys saw Deshaun Watson's reaction after the coin flip, but he literally like threw his head back and turned around like, ah, God damn it. Like, what, like, what are you supposed to do? Exactly. Especially if you're a team like the Texans. You're not really supposed to be in overtime against the Titans. Nope. You work your way there, and now just by a coin flip, you're given the disadvantage. Yep. Uh, another game that went on that was another – kind of snooze fest if you like offense the Broncos and the Patriots Brandon Brandon McManus absolutely lit it up he had six field goals he was spectacular all the Broncos points Patriots looked really bad they're hurt their defense looked terrible they they were they bend and didn't break the entire uh the entire game but their offense and Cam Newton couldn't get anything done so when that happens, what are you supposed to do? Well, I will say that I follow a lot of Boston sports in general stuff on Twitter just because of my Red Sox Celtics fandom. And so I get a lot of the Patriots fans perspective. And the only thing going around Patriots Twitter this weekend was that the team didn't practice and how bad the team looked, how it was the worst the Patriots have looked in years and all this stuff. And so I, they had to close the facilities a couple of times. I don't know how much Denver practiced this week, um, but it obviously showed up for the Patriots as a team who's known for discipline and known for game planning and things like that to not have a week of practice. Um, yeah, they're, they're kinks in the armor showed. Yeah, you talked about them not having practice. I saw a lot of people talking about them having this extra time to prepare for this game. But, no, they were focused on another opponent. They had to skip that game. Now they're focused on the Broncos. They couldn't really go to the practice facility all the time. It's tough. And Cam Newton, your number one guy, had COVID. So he was the main guy. He wasn't able to produce as much as he wanted to in this game. Ugly game. Good for the Broncos, I guess. I don't know what they're trying to do. They're in that no-man's land, too. But the Patriots really needed this one at home and didn't get it. Yeah, you know, I think the Broncos are in the same position as as the Giants. Is it, If they think Drew Locke's their guy, and, and while they have injuries on offense and things like that, they need to grow. And so they need to have these experiences. They need to go try and win games and lose close games and things like that. Um, I, I don't know if I'd call Denver in that no-man's land only because they're so young and they've had a couple injuries, key injuries on offense and defense. Um, I think you're looking at a team that will compete, um, if not next year, then the year after. Um, I, I I think that's a team that, that needs to go out there and just try and compete. 
I absolutely love Drew Locke, so I'm I'm excited about this team. Losing Von Miller doesn't help help that defense, but their defense still looked good yesterday. So I don't think this is a playoff team this year, but they are playing to see what they have, mm-hmm. and I uh, obviously I, I appreciate that. We got a uh, double dose of Monday Night Football tonight. Fox has the five o'clock Chiefs Bills game. ESPN with that terrible booth has Cardinals Cowboys at eight fifteen. When we wake up tomorrow, or I guess when everyone listens to this podcast tomorrow, the millions of you that tune in, you already know what happened in these games. So, Keys, Doug, give me one thing that's going to happen that's going to be a reason for one of these teams to win. I believe this will be Josh Allen's national coming out party. We have a 5 o'clock game on, on Monday Night Football. I'm not predicting that the Bills are going to win the game, but I am predicting that Josh Allen will go head-to-head with, with Mahomes and the game will be close. Um, I haven't looked at odds Um but, yeah, I think the Chiefs might squeak out a close one, but I think this will do more to show America how good this Bills team is and how good Josh Allen is. Chiefs 5.5 is the line. I think they cover that and more. The Bills are a very good team, but we've seen it against the Ravens for the Chiefs. Whenever they play good competition, they play better. So I got Chiefs, and then I got Cowboys with Andy Dolan getting his first full victory as a Cowboy. I Yeah, I don't think they're gonna. the Cowboys are going to take too dramatic of a step back with Andy no. Dalton. Uh, their, their problem, and it has been this entire season, is their defense. I don't know how they're going to stop Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. So take the over if you're a betting man. All I will say, and this will pull at the heartstrings of NFL fans, imagine a Monday night football game in Buffalo when the Bills are 4-1 and against the defending Super Bowl champions. That's it. I think Damn. the tailgate scene would be absolutely wild. No one would be working in Buffalo today. A lot of broken um, tables. And then quickly about the Cowboys and the Cardinals. Kyler Murray has the chance to win in AT&T Stadium um, as a high schooler, as a college player, and now as a professional. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. Um, and, yeah, he's going to run all over this Cowboys defense. So, like you said, absolutely hammer the over. Um, or I, I hope you guys all hammered the over because you're not going to hear this. Maybe, maybe we'll tweet it out or something. Um, hammer the over, yeah. I hope I, I'm, I'm going to take the over. Yeah, take the over. <laughs> College football this time. Clemson, Georgia Tech will start in Atlanta. Really promising start for Georgia Tech. Like the first eight minutes, they were hanging in there. Forced two turnovers on Trevor Lawrence. I was feeling good about Georgia Tech plus 27 and a half. And then Clemson remembered they were Clemson and they won 73 to 7. It was Georgia Tech's worst loss since 1894. Uh, not good if you're a fan of the rambling wreck, but obviously, I've talked about it before on this podcast. Jeff Collins, head coach of Georgia Tech, their future is bright. It just needs a year or two. They got to recruit, they got to get the state of Georgia back. But Clemson's here, what we're talking about. Trevor Lawrence played one series in the second half, uh, but his stats in the first half were 404 yards and five touchdowns. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, pretty good. Like you said, this was an absolute drubbing by Clemson, 73-7. to um, This just has me salivating as a Jets fan who's, who keeps losing. I'm salivating over 16 in, in orange. 17 different Clemson receivers or players caught a reception. Four for Georgia Tech. Yeah. Crazy side of the day. Georgia Tech's got a quarterback. Kid's name is Jeff Sims. He's a freshman. Six completions. Really, really, really excited to watch him play. And by no means, I'm not talking as a fan. I'm not a fan of Georgia Tech. But football in the ACC is better when there's better teams uh, to to rival Clemson. In the past, it was FSU. But the ACC has been for so long kind of just one or two teams. It needs more top-tier teams. And maybe UNC was going to be that this year, but... 
They go down to Tallahassee, and Florida State hasn't had a pulse since Bobby Bowden retired. Not really, because they had Jimbo Fisher, I guess. But <laughs> He's uh, a big pulse. Yeah, I guess that was a big pulse with the national championship. But I guess it would be appropriate to say they haven't had a pulse since Jimbo left, and it's been two or three years now. They pulled off – North Carolina is ranked fifth in the country. They are by no means the fifth-best team in the country. But they beat the number 5 team in the country in Tallahassee. A good win. An electric offense by UNC was – largely held in check and Florida State kind of held on for dear life scoring zero points in the second <laughs> half but it was enough to pull out the victory yeah um I think when we looked at this game when it was coming up and we all kind of laughed like North Carolina they can't be the fifth best team in the country but we all thought that this Florida State team was awful the one graphic they kept trying to push um before the game was that UNC hasn't beaten Florida State I think they're 0-6 um and, yeah, the Florida State offense came roaring out of the gate and came to a screeching halt. UNC almost creeped their way back into this. Two drop passes on third and fourth down. The final drive cost them the game. Um, yeah, I think Mac Brown has this UNC team playing very well. They're very talented, but like you said, no, by no means the fifth-best team in the country. A tale of two halves. You talked about how Florida State 31-7 at halftime, and they won 31-28. to Thank God for their rushing game because the passing attack was not great. Agreed. Agreed, agreed. we got to stop talking about ACC football because who cares? Uh, Especially next week. Let's preview, before we do 60 seconds down south, preview IU next week because they will have already played by the time our next podcast comes out. Home against Penn State, not that it matters, but it is nice not to travel for them. Uh, 3.30 kickoff, not a noon game. Shout out the NCAA. (laughs) So... What are the X factors? Because I've said for weeks now since the schedule came out, I think this IU team can win six games, and I think one of the games that they can steal is against Penn State or Michigan. So what happens if the Hoosiers win on Saturday? All right, well, that's two different questions. I think the biggest X factor for the Hoosiers um, this Saturday is the entire offense. (laughs) If they can control time of possession, if they can keep this Penn State offense off the field, if Penix has a good game, Stevie Scott and the running back group gets going, we have guys on the outside who can absolutely make plays in Watt Fillier and Ty Freifogel. Um, we're going to be able to put up points this year. It's it's going to be whether or not we can d- like do it for the entirety of the game. I think our biggest problem against Penn State in, in my four or five years watching us play them is that we always, for two and a half, three quarters, we look fantastic in the fourth quarter, the wheels fall off. Um, and so if the offense can control the ball and keep the defense fresh, especially with the injuries in our secondary, um, that'll, that'll go a long way. But if, if IU wins on Saturday, boys, 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 boys. Bloomington's going to be buzzing. Yes. I'm waiting for that because Penn State, as good as IU has improved and as much as they've shown promise this past year or two years now, Penn State's still a top-10 team. And it is the first game of the season, so I think IU's a little bit lucky playing them this early on. For my X Factor, it's got to be the defense. I trust this offense for IU, even though it's really not been together for all that long. With with Wap Villier and Michael Penix and Stevie Scott, these are seasoned guys that can produce. It's the defense without Marcelino Ball, who's out for the season. Yeah. And some other guys, there's going to be some rotations coming in. Tom Allen's a defensive guy. It's opening day. Might as well get it at a, a very fresh start for IU. I... um. I'm very excited about this team this year. You guys have mentioned all the weapons that we have. I think it does come down to the defense because I do trust the offense. But it is a blessing, and one of you, I think, Doug, you said this, but playing Penn State week one on an offseason like no one has ever experienced right. before, 
there are no advantages. Uh, so getting at this team early, I think, is a very big help. Uh, Big Ten, just one other game before we do the SEC. Michigan, Minnesota, it's uh, college uh, college game day next weekend in Minnesota. I think Michigan's going to get blown out. It's it's in Minneapolis. Minnesota's playing. I, I think Michigan's terrible. I think IU is going to steamroll them this year. So get ready to play that clip back when we lose by 50. <laughs> uh, 60 seconds down south. We watched a bunch of college football. There were some great games this weekend in the SEC. Alabama and Georgia really had a first half that was competitive and back and forth. Mac Jones is putting himself in the Heisman conversation he threw for four touchdowns and was every bit as good as uh, as Tua and uh, Hertz have been in the last couple years. So there haven't really been has hasn't really been a big turnoff from him or from them to him. Yeah, four touchdowns, four hundred seventeen yards. Najee Harris was spectacular again. The biggest thing to come out of this game is Georgia just forgot how to score. Slash Alabama remembered they can play really good defense in the second half. Alabama won twenty-one and nothing in the second half, and that was the final score. Uh, so Keys, I know we watched this game together. Nothing like a little CBS at eight p.m. Oh, dude, it was fantastic. I think what happened in the second half was that Alabama kind of realized that Stetson Bennett didn't have the arm strength or athleticism to to beat them when they made him uncomfortable. I think when he was outside the pocket and trying to make throws across his body and, and over the middle, um, Alabama's defense definitely took advantage. I think my question for you, Justin, is if not Georgia, then who beats this Alabama team? Yeah, uh, in the SEC, I don't know. Um, I, I've said on the podcast before, my dad is an Alabama fan, so we talk Alabama all the time. Uh, their offense is spectacular, and when their defense remembers who they are and they're coached by Nick Saban, they're also spectacular. The only team that can beat Alabama is a team that can outscore them, which is why we saw Ole Miss almost pull off that upset last week. And there's only one team in the SEC that can outscore Alabama, and that's the Florida Gators. So I don't think Florida has a good enough defense. In fact, I know Florida doesn't have a good enough defense to stop Alabama. So my answer is nobody in the SEC. Uh, I haven't seen Ohio State take a single snap this year, so I can't say for certain Ohio State. But the way Clemson has played, I think right now out of the teams that have played, they're the only team that could beat Alabama. In the SEC, it's probably Florida because Georgia with Stetson Bennett just doesn't have the offense. They, they can't outscore a team. So with that being said, we go to the fraud Olympics here, back-to-back frauds. South Carolina upset Auburn in Columbia. No surprise. Auburn is terrible. Bo Nix is worse than terrible, and uh, I said Gene Chizik, Gus Malzahn is going to get fired at the end of this season. If Alabama or if Auburn loses the Iron Bowl, which they will this year, there is no chance Gus Malzahn keeps his job. I, I've been saying for forever, and it's been talked about forever, not just me. I'm sure I'm the millionth person that said this, but Gus Malzahn has a job at Auburn today because he has been able to beat Alabama. And for Auburn fans, that means more than winning games that they should – or that w- winning games. Uh, because if you beat Alabama at the end of the season, it's like he had a great season. So that's why he has a job. Auburn lost, no surprise. Kentucky throttled Tennessee this weekend in Knoxville. Tough, tough, tough. Jeremy Pruitt, bad head coach. Tennessee, bad program. Shouldn't have let Philip Fulmer retire 20 years ago. And Arkansas beat Ole Miss – Felipe Franks and the Razorbacks are 3-1 and one with two pretty good wins. 
coming into the season, people thought they were going to be the worst team in the SEC besides Vanderbilt. So to be 3-1 and one after beating and slowing down the lane train, not, not too bad. Key's Heisman picks yeah, for this uh, year. My, Maybe some surprises. So my question for you, and I think uh, you talked about it with Mac Jones, and he's probably playing himself into the favor right now, but can one of these Bama receivers win it? Can Devonta Smith or, or Jalen Waddle win the Heisman this year? Yes, they absolutely can. Will they? No way in hell <laughs> because a quarterback wins the Heisman every year. But Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell are absolutely playing like Heisman winners. They are just as important to this offense as Mac Jones. Or as Mac Jones, you could argue that Mac Jones wouldn't be the quarterback he is without these receivers, which I think is a fair argument. So, yes, they can. Will they? Absolutely no freaking way. UFC. Yeah. Um, I mean— I can't even. It's 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 hard for me to wrap my head around what's about to happen. <laughs> you always this start this with he, the UFC. It's so hard to wrap my head around. <laughs> All right. So this past weekend we had a grudge match. Two years finally, Brian Ortega made his return to the ring. He fought the Korean Zombie uh, Chun Sung Jung. And I mean, I said this to to everyone I was sitting on the couch with on Saturday when Ortega walked in. They flashed the camera on him. I was like, holy shit! I just bet against this guy. I, I cannot believe I just bet against this guy. And Ortega looked fantastic. He looked big. Um, he cut his hair. His strikes looks good. The wrestling looked great. Obviously, he's flashing some uh, some guillotines. He's known as T-City. Um, you know, he's not afraid of being on his back. But, I mean, the zombie stood in front of him the entire fight and, and eight shots for it. Ortega looked fantastic. Um, he's going to fight Volkanovski for the title next at 145. And, yeah, um, good for Brian Ortega. And Volkanovski has helped Ortega in the past. So that's the history between that. There's really not bad blood between this next title fight, but it's going to be a very, very technical fight. Korean Zombie, I thought, would look a little bit more active. He was a lot of reaction from him. But credit Ortega, he got the win, and now he's fighting for the, the title. Yeah, um, and I think it was it was cool to see after the fight, um, Ortega and the Zombie kind of, like, put their beef behind yeah. him, like, sit down, bow to each other, be. hug. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they just seem like good dudes. Like, it, shit happens, you guys fight, and it goes next. But um, Ortega was talking about it after the fight, talking about fighting Volkanovski and just – um, came up to him after the whole zombie incident and said, like, oh, I heard that. What happened? All this stuff. Talked to him. So, like you said, no bad blood there. But make no mistake about it. That's going to be one hell of a fight. And then, ladies and gentlemen, this weekend, um, if you don't know who Khabib Nurmagomedov is, then you've been living under a rock for the last, um, I don't know how long. But UFC 254 is coming up this Sunday or Saturday. Khabib Nurmagomedov, the lightweight champ, is going to face Justin Gaethje, the interim champ. A lot of people say that Justin Gaethje has the skill set to beat Khabib. Um, the odds are not reflecting that, but... Um, the closer we get to fight night um, and, and the, the deeper we get into fight week, I think you'll see a lot more of differing opinions of people talking themselves into Gaethje. I'm super excited for this fight because Habib might be the greatest of all time. Gaethje definitely has a skill set to beat him, but I don't know if he's going to get it done. What do you think, Doug? I got Khabib. I, I like Gaethje. He looked very good in his last fight, got the interim belt, but Khabib has shown you time and time again how he's the best fighter in the UFC right now at any weight. He's a wrestler. He's a striker. He can win your game he already can win his own so i like khabib in this one yeah i think um it it honestly depends on what justin gaethje shows up because if yeah. you get the justin gaethje you fought tony ferguson and now like tony wasn't threatening takedowns or, or trying to put force him up against the cage or anything um but if he fights that same like calm fight picks his shots things like that he's gonna be very tough to beat but i believe that uh, khabib is gonna just shove him up against the, the cage drag him into deep depths, and nobody's been able to stay off their back with this guy, so it'll be interesting to see. I think Khabib wins it either by points um, or by stoppage in the fourth. And also, just an interesting note about this fight, it is at 3.30, projected to be around 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. 
unusual for the UFC to do that, but of course Khabib from Russia wants his own audience to watch this fight. So if you're in Bloomington, set up two TVs, UFC and college football, IU. Yeah, definitely. And then also just kind of rounding out the card, we have a, a middleweight contender fight. Robert Whitaker, the former champ, the number one contender, is fighting Jared Cannonier, who Israel Adesanya called out just two or three weeks ago. Um, if Cannonier wins this fight, he's going to be fighting Adesanya for the belt. If Whitaker wins this fight in dominant fashion, he'll probably get the rematch against Adesanya. Um, so that's going to be one to watch. And then we have a heavyweight contender fight, uh, Walt Harris and Alexander um, Volkov, I believe, are yep. fighting for the heavyweight um, heavyweight contender spot. Um, so that's just three of the five fights on the card. It's going to be a ridiculous day of fights. So like I've been saying for the last three weeks, if you're not a UFC fan and you've been looking to get into the sport or you are a fan and, and you, you're just looking for more fights, this weekend, like Doug said, it starts early, 1 p.m. start. Um, yeah, that's going to be a ridiculous, ridiculous card. A little bit of golf talk before we move to segments. I'm sure neither of you were able to catch the Dominion Energy Charity Classic this weekend. I watched all. I watched every hole. Every <laughs> hole. Well, if you watched every hole, you know well that Phil Mickelson is on or won his second Champions Tour tournament. Uh, turned 50 a couple months ago and has since been slaying the 50 and over tournament uh, or league in the PGA. So very exciting for Phil to get back into the winning ways. And quickly, we are a month away from the fall Masters this year. Oh, yeah. And Augusta released a video which was absolutely just, it looked sparkling. The trees were changing colors. I'm very excited to see what Augusta looks like in the fall. I'll go as far to, to say as to use the word orgasmic. There you go. Wow, our first orgasmic drop on the Sideline Podcast. I love it. Keys, good week, bad week? Great week for sports night. Holy shit, Saturday we had college football. We had fights. We had uh, ALCS, NLCS. We, I mean, we had all three TVs going, and, and I almost bought down my TV for my room to have a fourth TV going. I mean, it was just – it was awesome. I Just to sit there in front of all those screens, just things are going on every time you turn left, right, center. Um, that was awesome. Bad week. Um, bad week for payroll flexibility. Um, I, just, I still can't believe the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts. I don't know if I'll ever get over that one. I don't blame anybody except for John Henry. I just – it just makes me sad, man. It just makes me sad. And then also, not a great week for Justin Sports Mental Health. Sorry, big guy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Doug? Good week for drama in the MLB. There's two Game 7s, two very dramatic Game 7s. They were decided by a total of three runs. The top two teams advance. Like I said earlier, there's no asterisk for this World Series. That's a great week for all baseball fans. Bad week, we talked about one half of my bad week, and that's MMA favorites. The Korean Zombie was the favorite, even though he was ranked lower than Ortega. He lost, obviously, like we just said. And then the one we didn't talk about, not in the UFC, but in boxing, Mullen this week. What's more ironic, Dan Mullen in that situation or Rudy Gobert in his antics when COVID just started? I think Dan Mullen because Rudy Gobert knew, I mean, we didn't know anything in March, so... Dan yeah. Mullen knew exactly what he was getting into <laughs> when he said that. To be fair, the Florida's government would have – Ron DeSantis has said that he wants the Dolphins stadium full, so I can't blame him for that. I'm pretty sure DeSantis has already sold tickets for this one. Yes, yes he has. Uh, and I'll just jump right into why I love sports this week. I don't love sports this week. <laughs> I wrote down on my page, I said, who cares? So I will probably begrudgingly watch the World Series. And i got to say this because I didn't bring it up during the baseball game. John Smoltz and Joe Buck, who I love, were openly rooting for the Dodgers in in this series. It was amazing to me, and you could see it across Braves' Twitter. 
the hate John Smoltz was getting. I jokingly said to my friend last night, I was like, I want John Smoltz's jersey taken down <laughs> from the rafters in in uh, Truist Park. I was mad online. Um, also, Joe Davis broadcasted Game 7. Who does Joe Davis work, work for besides Fox Sports? Spectrum Sports. What does Spectrum Sports do? They broadcast Dodgers games. We had the Dodgers play-by-play guy call games it yeah, but Joe, game seven. Joe Davis was good, though. Yeah, I, Joe Davis I, I is great. Say, I will say, say Joe Davis is great. I thought Joe Davis was more down the middle than than Joe Buck has been. I think you're right about and that. And I also will say I don't like. Yeah, you have the Dodgers guy calling the game, but you also have John Schmoltz who pitched for the Braves. John Schmoltz hated I, the Braves. Like, I, he still pitched. Like I know he did. He but did. When when you when Joe Buck is calling your team's game, no matter what side or what yeah. team you're on, you just feel like he's against you, and so. I, I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. I, I literally can picture the calls in my head. Um, and so, yeah, definitely feel you on the Joe Buck frustration. The problem is I love Joe Buck. That's where, like, no, yeah, that's he's where a, everyone a, hates him, but it, I like, really it's, like it's, him. It's, when he, it's only when he's calling games <laughs> against your team. That's all that matters. Uh, Keys, let's go with you. Why do you love sports this week? Huh, it's game week. It's fight week. Saturday. I mean, it's, it's actually such a damn shame that these are happening at the same time, literally. But, I mean, Khabib Nurmagomedov, like I just spewed for about five minutes, might be the best fighter of all time. He's fighting Justin Gaethje, who might have the best chance to beat him in this division. And, and, and we get Hoosier football this weekend. Come on! Very, very exciting. Doug, wrap us up. NHL broadcasting legend. Very good. Yes. I'm glad Thank you, you said it. Thank you for Retires Mike Doc Emmerich, retires after 50 years in the sport. Started in the 80s. Um, all the way up until 2020. Memorable calls from me personally when the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup, especially in 2013. He was electric. He's from LaFontaine, Indiana, so not too far. If you don't know him or you want to see him in his last moments, go to the NHL on NBC Twitter. They release, and they, I mean, and NBC Plus Mike, De- Mike Emmerich released a five-minute video of his best calls and what he remembers most and his gratitude to the fans, the players, and everyone that helped him out in his 50-year career. Yeah, I watched that video this morning, and I'm, I'm well uh, on the record, not a hockey guy, but I love Doc Emmerich, and the way he calls games is an art form. Yeah, yeah. He, he's easily the voice of hockey. Um, it, it'll be interesting and kind of odd to hear who replaces him in the booth next because he's such an iconic voice. And yeah. So. Yeah, shout out to Doc Emmerich. I got my money on Tariko. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see what happens. That's going to do it today. Be sure to tune in next time for another Sideline Report. I was walking down the street when out the corner of my eye I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, i never seen a man.